0: Good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to open them to the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the church at Rome, specifically to chapter 13. We're going to look this morning at the last section of chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. And if you can believe it or not, we are now, after this morning, going to have only three chapters left in this great epistle. We have been working our way through what is perhaps to many the most uh, systematic exposition of the gospel and the doctrines of grace in the New Testament. And we are now still in the middle of a section in which Paul teaches us what flows from salvation, the implications of our salvation. So if you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient, and the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Romans chapter 13, beginning at verse 11. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for the Lord to add his blessing to it. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would open up your word to us. That we would not only hear it and read it. That we would not only understand it, but that it would take deep root in our hearts. That we, O Lord, would be changed by your word that your word would be the means that your Holy Spirit uses to make us more and more like your Son. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Have you ever had the experience of watching, either in person or on video, someone who is sleepwalking? It can be quite humorous on some level, because... We can do things when we are sleepwalking that we are not aware of. Perhaps we can even seem awake to other people while we're sleepwalking. There are stories, for example, of a chef who in the middle of the night goes into his kitchen and whips up gourmet meals. And then goes back to bed because there's no one awake to eat them. There's a story of a nurse who in her sleep draws artistic masterpieces. And art galleries all around the country vie for her works. The only problem is the only time she makes these masterpieces is when she's asleep. There's the tragic story of a man who in his sleep decided to walk outside in the middle of winter in his underwear. And he froze to death because he wasn't aware of what he was doing Perhaps the most humorous one that I've seen is that someone actually in the middle of the night, while she was asleep, got up, got onto her computer, logged on, and sent several emails to her friends. I would love to know what the contents of those emails were. So the idea here is is that we can seem awake, we can even take up activities when we are asleep. But that is not how we are intended to live. These are humorous stories. These are tragic stories because we are not intended to move about when we're asleep. We're intended to be awake when we act. And so what Paul is doing this morning here is he is calling on all believers to be awake. To not give in to spiritual slumber. And so Paul is providing here once again in our text... A practical directive about the Christian life. As we'll see, Paul is not describing some hypothetical or far in the event, far in the future event. He's not trying to give us an inspired crystal ball. So just in case it happens that we are alive when Jesus returns, we can look to this text. No. But Paul is also not trying to remind us of what Jesus has done in the past, to dwell and look back on memories. No, he is speaking to every Christian right here, right now. He is calling you to wake up from spiritual slumber. Are you a new believer in Christ? Well, then listen to Paul. Have you known the joy of fellowship with Jesus Christ for years? Well then, listen to Paul. Have you walked with Christ for years upon years, seeing your covenant children and their children embrace Jesus Christ? Well then, listen to Paul. He wants you to know the Lord's desire for your life. And so this morning, I would like us to see three things from this text. First, Paul calls upon us and he tells us we need to be awake. Second, Paul answers the question what are we to wake up from? And then thirdly, if we know we are to be awake from something, he answers the question, what are we to be awake to? We need to be awake. What are we to wake up from? And what are we to wake up to? Now, let's start by looking at the call to be awake. Now, This is all the rage today in our society. And just a bare call to be awake, we need to be careful as to what the meaning that we pour into this word is. Because after all, in our society, in the last few years, it is all the rage to be woke. Now what does that mean? It means that we are supposed to be awake to certain views... We are to have certain views about our society, certain views about sexuality, certain views about the government. And our awakeness, our wokeness, if you will, is directly correlated to what we think. There's only one way to think in this view. And this is an unbiblical view because the way we are awake, according to society, according to our culture, is to shake off God. To say we don't need God. Society is telling you right now, in advertisement, in television shows, in movies, in magazines, in books, what they are saying to you is, now is the time for a fresh start. Now is the time for people to finally get it right. After all of the mistakes of all of the years, right now we're going to get everything right. And we don't need God. We need to shake off all of these confining and restricting views of the Bible and of God. A new age has come. And there still is no sign of Jesus Christ coming back. We need to push off those thoughts, to shake off God and to be awake. And this is an unbiblical view. A second unbiblical view might even be experienced by Christians. Now, just because you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ does not mean that all of your views are biblical. That's what discipleship is for, to conform our thinking to the scriptures. And one other unbiblical way to look at being awake is to see in it just relief. I just need to get away. When I was younger, there was a famous commercial in which there would be a lady sitting in a bath and she would say, Calgon, take me away. I don't want to know what's going on in the world. I want to act like the world is far away from me. And sometimes as Christians, that's very tempting because the real world is hard. And this would have been true to the people that Paul is writing to. A first century Christian would want to get relief, especially from what Paul has told him, is the present evil age in Galatians chapter 1. A first century Christian would be persecuted by the Jews. He would be persecuted by the Roman state. And so he would want to get away. Now the irony is, 20 centuries later, we find our society in much the same place. Many Americans are in this boat now. We just want relief. We just want to get away from it all because we're afraid. We're afraid of what our culture is doing. We're afraid of what our government might do. And we just want to push this off from our minds. But that's an unbiblical view of being awake. There's another unbiblical view of being awake and that is we are awake and waiting for the spectacular to happen. We can find God ...to the box of special events. That's all that's important. Now, that doesn't make sense perhaps at first, but let me explain it. How could it be confining God... ...when we're thinking about God acting in spectacular ways? Well, the confining factor is we make God only act in spectacular ways. And so God's not there in our everyday. He's not there when we're changing diapers... ...or making dinner, or producing reports at work or fixing cars, or taking math exams, or writing English essays. He's not there. He's only about to come for the spectacular. And so what happens is, men and women, sinfully, I think, wait for a specific day or a time beyond which Scripture teaches us. And I find it very ironic. There is perhaps no teaching more plain in the Scripture then you will not know the day and the hour of Christ's return. As a matter of fact, Jesus commands us not to try to find out the day and the hour because we will not know. And yet, if history is any guide, it shows us that Christians desire more than anything else to figure out the day and the hour. There have been no less than four occasions in my lifetime in which a supposed Christian teacher has predicted down to the day, down to the hour when Jesus was going to return. And then what happens when Jesus doesn't come? Well, again, the irony is often it's, oh, oh, we must have miscalculated. It's not now. It's 13 months from now. Trust me. And then when that comes, oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's next year. Really, really, believe me this time. It's next year. And so what happens is when this day doesn't come, it doesn't live up to their expectations. People view God as being irrelevant. They use it as an excuse for forgetting his mighty works in history because he has not lived up to their expectation. This unbiblical view of being awake is that God's time must be my time. God must be ready when I am ready. He comes to my beck and call. And perhaps the best biblical example of this is in 2 Peter chapter 3 when Peter says that the scoffers say you keep talking about Jesus and him coming back but everything continues since the day that the world began. We don't believe in this Jesus. We don't believe in his coming because things haven't changed. And what that is is people deciding that God has to be on their schedule. His day is their day. So what then is the biblical view of being awake? Well, Paul shares this with us beginning at verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So Paul says you know the time. The time to wake up is now. The hour has come for waking up. Now, just because we know the time doesn't mean it's easy to wake up, does it? I know many of you some even in my family, have a habit of using their alarm clock on their phone. And the way they set their alarm is they set it for 6 o'clock, 610, 620, 630, and 635. Because when the alarm clock goes off, if you're anything like me, you don't want to get out of bed. You want to stay there with the soft pillow. You want to stay there under the covers. You wonder why you should possibly leave so pleasant a situation. Can't I possibly just sleep 30 more minutes? Or if you're like me, when I was younger and in school, you would say to your mother, just two more minutes, ma, just two, please. And when you're awake, you say, what good is two minutes going to do you? You're not even going to get back into a full sleep. But that's how we treat it. And so we need to wake ourselves. We need to rouse ourselves from slumber. The only reason anyone gets out of bed is because they have things to do. Kids, you may think that your dad jumps out of bed because he wants to get up and get his day going. You may think moms were made to be awake. They're not. You just don't see them wipe the sleep from their eyes and drag themselves out of bed and Splash water on their face and get ready and get going so they can wake you up. Because if they don't get up, not only are they not up, you're not up. This is what happens. When we're asleep. And so what Paul tells us is the time for being awake is now. It's not yesterday. It's not a century a century ago. It's not some vague future time. As a matter of fact, when Paul uses the word now in verse 11, it is a, an adverb that has a present expectation. We might translate it already. Right now, Paul says, you ought to be awake. The time is now. And we are to be expectant about now. We are to be awake and to be expectant for the work that God has in our lives today. God is at work in your life today. Now you may understand that on Sunday. You may have thought to yourself as you woke up, surely God is going to be at work in me today. I'm getting up for church. But I challenge you, tomorrow morning, when the alarm goes off earlier than you want it to, and you groan and you think about going to class. Or going to that conference meeting. Or cleaning the house. Think about what God has at work for you that day. Today is the day, Paul says. We're not to reminisce about what Jesus has done in the past. We're not just to meditate upon future glory. Today is a day to be redeemed, says the Lord. And so this Time, knowing the time, Paul says, is also helpful for us. There are two main Greek words that our English word time is used as a translation. And the word that is used here is not the word that we use in the sense of what time is it? Can you tell me what time it is? Or he's got a lot of time on his hands. No, this is more in the sense of the decisive time or the time. opportune time it's actually a word that has our idea of crisis in it and so what God is saying is wake up today yes right now I mean this day today this very hour is the time I want you to be awake and aware of because today is a crisis for the Christian now Every day is a sense of urgency for the Christian. Now, that is not as the world defines it. It doesn't mean that you're running for something extraordinary to happen in your life. No, what it means is today is an urgent day for the Christian to have an urgency for God. An urgency for prayer. An urgency for God's word. And to love the Lord with all our heart, all our strength, and all our mind. Today is an urgent day for the Christian. And so our lives are to have purpose today. We are to love others, as Paul has reminded us in verse 10. You'll notice that verse 11 begins, Besides this. What is the this? It's loving our neighbors as ourselves. Our lives are to have purpose. We are to serve the Lord. And we are to tell others about Jesus. Today is the day for us to be at work for the Lord. So what then are we to wake up from? The first thing that we are to wake up from is the sleep of sin. And so God has graciously given us truth in a way that we can easily understand. We all know what it's like to sleep. We all know what it's like to become drowsy. And so he gives us this image here. What he is saying to you is to put off sin. It's like saying, put off your pajamas and put on your clothes. Now, perhaps this isn't as easily understood in the last decade or so as previously. When I was growing up, no one went out in public in their pajamas. Not even at Walmart. Nowadays, people do this all the time and schools actually have pajama days in which they tell you not only can you, you should go out in your pajamas. Now, the idea here is is that you don't leave your bathrobe on or your nightgown or your nightclothes and try to go about your day. Again, years ago, people didn't even like to answer the door if someone came to their door early in their nightclothes. You take those off and you put on the clothes that you work with. And that's what Paul is telling us. We are to put off sin because the night is over. The night of our sin is past. Jesus has come. The sun has arisen. And so we are to put on Jesus Christ. We are to put off the sleep of sin and our night clothes of sin. So what does that mean? Well, sin causes us to stay asleep. And the irony is, is that sleep then causes us to be insensitive to sin. It is a cycle. Sin puts us to sleep and our sleepiness makes us insensitive to our sin. So what kind of sins might we think about with this? I'll give you three illustrations. First, self-centeredness. The sin of self-centeredness makes us asleep to everyone around us. We're not worried about how others are feeling, what others are experiencing, what is going on in our world. We're only worried about me, myself, and I. And so we are oblivious to the world around us, to other people's wants or needs, to other people's hurts. We don't engage others. We only think about matters such as they affect us. And so that sin puts us to sleep. Secondly, we might think about worldliness. Worldliness makes us insensitive and sleepy to what is going on around us. Now, that may seem odd at first glance, but it's very true. Because the world carries us along with it. To be worldly means you don't need to think for yourself. It means you just simply go along with the crowd. Have you ever had the experience in the summer of going tubing? You get one of those big tubes and you put it in the water, and that's my kind of sport because you sit in there, and as long as you've got some sun lotion on, you're fine. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to paddle. You don't need to swim. You just sit on the tube. And again, if you're like me and the sun is nice and hot, you fall asleep. And where do you go? Well, you go wherever the river takes you, right? And sometimes the river takes you places you don't want to be. You might get stuck in some brambles. You might all of a sudden wake up and you're in some rapids. Or there's rocks around. And you say to yourself, how did I get here? And you don't know. It's because the river's been carrying you along. That's what worldliness looks like. The Christian falls asleep. He gets carried on by the world. And he ends up in places doing things he knows are contrary to God's law. Knowing that he is acting in a way... ...that he would be ashamed of before his Savior. Why? Because he falls asleep. Thirdly, there is a sin that is experienced even within the church. It's not just out in the world. And that is the sin of cold formality. We come into the church and we think if we check all of the boxes... ...if we show up at a certain time... ...if we say certain words... ...if we carry certain books around with us... ...if we have certain conversations then we're fine. There needs to be no depth to our faith. There needs to be no emotion to our faith. There needs to be no crying out to God, no need for God. As long as we do all that is so-called required, that's sufficient. And what that does is it puts us to sleep. It puts us to sleep about God and His commands and His work. These are three examples of sins that cause us to fall asleep. And we all, I think, should understand that it is dangerous to fall asleep at the wrong time. Have you ever had a morning job interview? Or had a morning examination to take in school? If you have, then you know how important it is not to oversleep. The consequences are dire. An even better example might be driving a car. If someone falls asleep or even fails to be as alert as they should be, it can have devastating consequences. And so we need to be active fighting sin and active fighting what will put us to sleep. I remember many years ago before I was married, I was studying law at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I didn't have classes on Thursdays or Fridays, so I then traveled from Michigan to Buffalo, New York, where my sweet fiancé, now wife, was living. And probably what would have been smart is to get back to my class on Mondays, I would have left Sunday at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock at night and been able to get back and be refreshed. But that's not what you do when you're young and you're in love. You wait till the last possible second to go, and then you don't go, and then you decide to go later. And so I would leave sometimes at midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning and drive through the night. And what would happen is I would be driving on long stretches of Canadian highway that were virtually empty and I would be awakened to a start as I hit the median or I hit the the shoulder and the car jiggled and I would wake myself up and I would be scared to death. Then what do you do in a situation like that? What you do is you roll down the window so that the cold air comes in and hits you. You turn the radio all the way up. You start smacking yourself in the face. Stay awake. Stay awake. You have to be active in fighting sleep. You don't just say to yourself, oh, I'm sure they won't happen again. Because if you do, it will. So it is with sin. Do not just assume I won't fall into that sin again. You need to be actively killing sin in your life or sin will put you to sleep. That's what Paul's saying here. It's the same with spiritual things. Think about John and Peter on the Mount of Olives in Luke 22. They're with our Lord Jesus Christ. They're in the middle of a spiritual experience, and they keep falling asleep. They become insensitive to their duties. So what spiritual sleep are we to avoid? Paul tells us, I think, that we are to avoid spiritual slumber. So when are we most likely to slumber spiritually? The irony is that we are most likely to to experience spiritual slumber when our external or outward circumstances are most pleasant, when things are going best. We tend to fall asleep when everyone's in good health, when our relationships are fine, when our bank account is full, when our job is stable. We don't need God then. We're on autopilot. You see, when we tend to be awakened is when the bank account is empty, when the bills can't be paid, when the doctor's report is devastating. That's what wakes us up to our need from God. And so when things are going well, beware. You need to be awake, not be slumbering. The same is true when things are going spiritually well for us. We tend to take our spiritual life for granted when we are becoming regular in our church attendance. When we have a regular time of prayer, when we have a regular time of reading God's word. We can become sleepy and slumber because we take those spiritual exercises for granted. We don't sense an urgency in our life for God. Now, the pastor is not telling you not to be regular at church, not to regularly read your word, not to regularly pray. But what I am saying is as you do that, you must do so with an urgency for today, an urgency that if you don't, it could be devastating to your soul. So God wants you to think about today, to be awake, to understand your neighbor, your neighbor's needs, To love your neighbor. That's what Paul has told us in the passage leading up to this. This is what we are to do. We are to remember this, that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. What are we to wake up from? We wake up from the sleep of sin. a Spiritual slumber. What then are we to wake up to? The first thing that I think we are to wake up to is glorifying God. I tell you this sincerely this morning. Do not let the devil rob you of the treasure of today. He is going to come up to you and rob you or attempt to rob you of your relationship with God today. Have you ever noticed that the devil never whispers in your ear, you know, I don't think on a Thursday in November, 10 years from now, you're going to be effective for God. He never says that. What he says is, do you really think you can serve God today? Don't you remember how you talked to your neighbor yesterday? How are you going to love your neighbor today? You know what you did. You know how you're responsible. Don't you remember all the things that you did in your past? How are you going to serve Jesus today? How could Jesus possibly use you with all your sin and all your misery and all your self-centeredness? The wicked one will seek... To prey on your conscience like this. And you see, what we need to do is we need to confront the enemy of our soul. We need to remember what God has said to us. And we don't speak lies back to him. We don't say that doesn't matter. God doesn't care if I sin. I can keep on sinning. I don't really care about what God says in his word. No, what we say is, you're lying. Because you are the father of lies. God doesn't want my past disobedience. Christ has died and bled for that. God wants my obedience today. This very hour. And the night of my sin is far spent. And today, God's day is now at hand. I can serve God today. And so we must take heart, Christian, that today... ...is God's day. He is guiding your life... ...today. He is with you... ...today. He is the Lord of your life... ...today. Do you feel isolated at work or at school? Do you feel like no one understands you? Perhaps even that they ostracize you. Maybe even in some circumstances... ...you feel persecuted. Well, look to Jesus Christ... ...because that night is drawing to an end. Your night of isolation... And persecution is drawing to an end. Are you afflicted with illness and with suffering? Then look to Jesus Christ because the night of your suffering is drawing to an end. Jesus says, look up. Your salvation is drawing near. Now is your salvation nearer than when you first believed. It is a truism that you are closer to glory now than when you first believed. So why would you not take heart? Today is the Lord's day. You know, we might think of it this way in terms of a long trip. Have you ever taken a long trip in a car? I mean kind of a Texas long trip. Like 11, 12 hours in the car. And so everybody piles into the car. And you take off. And for about the first hour, people are active. They're kind of jimmying for position in the back seat, trying to figure out what will we put on the radio. No, I got my headphones. Everybody's getting together, et cetera. About hour four or five, everybody's asleep but Dad. Dad's at the wheel, and he looks back, and the kids are heads hung back, mouth open. Out like a light, right? Dad's just hoping to stay awake. So he's he's in control of the radio because he's the only one listening. And then something else happens. About hour 11 of a 12-hour trip, people start to stir. Dad says, look at that sign there. Only 45 more miles, and we're there. We're almost there. Oh, we're almost there. Oh, man. And then they start talking about what are we going to do when we get there? What clothes are we going to wear? Who are we going to see? Everybody's awake. Everybody's excited, right? That's how you should view the Christian life. Your salvation is nearer than when you first believed. It's in sight. You should be active. You should be excited. You should be working for the Lord Jesus Christ because the day is at hand. That's what God is telling you. So we wake up to glorifying God. But we also wake up to cast off sin and to put on Christ. And so Paul calls upon us to put to death the sin of In our lives. He says this in verse 12. He says the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness. And put on the armor of life. And then in verse 13. He gets very bold. You know. Even if I wasn't told this in the Bible. I would know Paul is a preacher. Because verse 13 is one of those verses. Where Paul goes from direction. To preaching. To meddling. As we preachers say. Because he gets very pointed and specific. He even uses some words that we're not comfortable using in public. But then he also uses some words that we might not expect. He says, we're to walk properly, not in quarreling and jealousy. Now, I want to stop right there for a moment. Kids, did you think this morning The Apostle Paul was going to call you out on your spiritual life because you've been fighting with your brothers or sisters. Because he just did. No quarreling. What about jealousy? Dads, are you jealous of somebody's car at work? Are you jealous of somebody's job or the way they get praised? Moms, are you jealous of the way some ladies in the neighborhood look or the way they're provided for? or whether they have kids, or don't have kids, or how many kids, or whatever it is. Paul tells us we need to put that off. That's of the night. That's of the enemy. We don't carry that forward. That's not following Jesus. We put that off. And the Bible always gives us two directives, and Paul is wonderful at this. He does the exact same thing in Ephesians chapter 4. He tells us to put off sin, but you don't run around naked. You put on Jesus. And so we put off sin and we put on Christ. Because it is not enough to stop lying. You have to tell the truth. It's not enough to stop stealing. You have to work so that you can be generous for others. We put off sin and we put on Christ. Now we should not think, however, that Paul is simply trying to get us to be better. As if somehow, if we do these things then God will love us. We have to remember the context. Paul is speaking to believers here. He's speaking to those who know what Jesus has done. Remember, we go all the way back to those two verses we've been repeating every single week, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Knowing the mercies of God. Knowing what God has done. Therefore, we then live this way. And so the context of all of this is that our salvation is nearer than before. We have experienced salvation through faith in Christ. And now it is nearer to us. And so putting off the works of darkness and putting on the armor of light is something that the children of God do. It's the grace of God that enables us to do this. God's grace is at work in our lives. And so the Christian must put on the armor of light, or in other words, put on Jesus Christ. He is to be focused on putting off the works of darkness today. Because those works of darkness belong to the night. They belong to the days before salvation. And he urges us to walk properly. That means that God has determined that today is the day that the darkness should be destroyed. The believer in Jesus Christ experiences the fruit of his salvation by how he uses the daylight that God has given to him. The desire of the believer should not be for works of darkness. Now, do not expect, even by God's grace, to walk as you will walk in glory. You will not be perfect. Do not expect that today will be without struggles. Struggles do not mean that it is darkness. Struggles do not mean that it is hopeless. That is a part of life in Christ. But do expect God to show you His grace on this very day. For today is the day at hand. In conclusion, let's look very briefly at three types of people and what it means for the day to be at hand. First, Paul has a practical message for those of you who have not rested upon Jesus Christ for your salvation. If you find yourself this morning questioning just who Jesus is. And why he would have such an effect on you. And why the pastor keeps talking about him. If you are doubting his message. If you doubt your life can be changed. If you doubt that you need Jesus. Then Paul has a message for you. Be awake. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day for you to wake up from your slumber, from the sleep of self-interest and self-satisfaction. It is not too late. In fact, today is the perfect day for you to recognize your need of Jesus Christ and to fall down before His grace. Oh, do not wait. Do not ignore the alarm that God has graciously given to you. There is no better time to flee from sin and hell. There is no more appropriate day to seek redemption than today. Hell is full of people like Felix, who said to Paul, You know, this is interesting what you're telling me about Jesus, but let's talk about that tomorrow. He put it off. It's high time that you listen to the living God. It's for your own life and health. That you should wake up and see the nearness of God's grace. Paul also has a practical message for another group of people this morning. He's speaking to those believers to whom God has blessed with children. You now have a wonderful opportunity to impress upon your covenant children the importance that God has placed on today. Encourage your children to shake off the sleep of peer pressure. And to rouse themselves from the slumber of our culture around us. Point them to the grace of God in their baptism. Encourage them to put on Jesus Christ. Remind your children and your grandchildren that as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Remind them that His grace has caused His covenant sign to be placed upon them. Tell them that God wants their hearts today. Not after they've had their fill of fun. Finally, Paul has a message that is practical for the believer in God and Christ this morning. Today is the day that the Lord has made. He is the Lord of this day. And He is the Lord of your life today. Today His grace is sufficient for you. You don't need to wait for tomorrow or some special event to repent of your sins. That day is today. It's at hand. Do you have a loved one who is in need of Christ? Today is the day to be awake to Christ's command, to give a reason for the faith that is within you. Do you have a secret sin that you have been nurturing? Today is the day to cast off the works of darkness and to walk in the light. Do you doubt that you can put off sin today? Do not fear because God in Christ himself is for you. The Almighty Lord God of the universe not only commands you, but He's also made provision for you to be awake. He's given you Christ, and that is enough for you. Take Him at His word, because He knows you better than you know yourself. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Praise be to God Almighty that He has given us the day star the bright and morning star, our Lord Jesus Christ, to guide us in the way that we are to go. Let's pray.